0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before I um, share the message for the day, I want to share a couple of pictures with you. And these are by way of saying thank you. I just returned from a week of teaching the Acts of the Apostles to a hundred men. Go back one slide. Go back one. Go backwards. Retreat. Backwards. There we go. And uh, thanks to the generous offerings from... Uh, a number of churches uh, including Redeemer, Springfield and Nixon Missouri, we were able to place in the hands of every one of our 100 students who sow a crossways textbook, a timeline, a bunch of divine plans to share and some prayer requests and then you also see a stack of Bibles and that's what you also raised some money for and uh, we were able to take down 200 Bibles this time 100 that went into our students hands, 100 that went into the hands of uh, inmates who are entering the Bible college or the seminary in prison. In addition, we have enough money left over that we're buying an additional 100 large-print Bibles for the aging population of those 6,200 inmates down at Louisiana State Penitenti- Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana. Now, the second thing is uh, we took down five to 6,000 greeting cards. Uh, we had no idea when we asked... Uh, Redeemer uh, Faith and Branson And Emmanuel and Belvedere What reception we were going to get uh, But thanks to All of you, we were able to take down Somewhere between five to 6,000 Greeting cards And yeah, while I think about greeting cards Don't forget to sign that greeting card for Pastor Sippy When you leave today Right? Right, right. okay, Paul will How about the rest of you, you're all going to sign it? Right? <laughs> Right, okay, thank you. But I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, Redeemer, uh, both Springfield and Nixon has been a real blessing to the ministry that we have down at Angola Prison. With that, let's uh, turn our attention to the struggle in our text. And the text I've chosen for today is the epistle lesson from Romans chapter 7. Not particularly a popular thing to preach on, with churches, Nobody really wants to come and hear that they are an evil, wicked, bad, and nasty sinner. But guess what? That's what you are, and that's what I am, and that's why we're going to cover this text and hopefully give you some hope at the end. I want to begin with uh, three observations about our text. Observation number one is simply this. Romans 7 is a passage that grips us. Because we understand exactly what it is saying, and we understand exactly who Paul was talking about besides himself. We see ourselves in it, and I think when you hear Romans 7 read to you, hopefully, like me, you said, amen. Yep, that's right, that's me, that's true. Observation number two is this, in Romans 7, Paul is not discussing the life of an unbeliever. He's not even talking about an immature or a carnal Christian. Romans 7 describes the mature Christian life as it is experienced by all of us quite often. In fact, what you have in Romans chapter 7 is Paul's spiritual autobiography of his experience as a Christ follower. As you heard that read before, perhaps you notice how often Paul said, I, 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 I. I mean, it, and, and none of that is in the past tense, it's in the present tense. See, what we have here in the epistle lesson today is not Paul's theory, but it is Paul's actual experience living a Christian life day in and day out. Here's observation three I will make about the text. Though some of us would perhaps, uh, like it, there is no real escape from Romans chapter seven. I'm sorry. It's in the text. It's in the Bible. We need to deal with it. And let me go beyond that just a step further and tell you that Romans 7 is really not the whole story. I mean, if it was the whole story, we'd all walk away kind of going, oh, wow, what a bummer that was today. It's important because the text is never found in isolation. It's wedged between two wonderful chapters of the Bible. And I would really greatly encourage you sometime this week to take the time to read Romans chapter 6. Go back through Romans chapter 7, and then you can feel real good when you get to Romans chapter 8. Paul is giving us a unifying part of which Romans 6 is a part, Romans 7 is a part, and Romans 8 is a part. But we need all three of those parts for what I would call a well-rounded Christian life. I'm going to go a step further and say that I think the path to God's blessings goes right through the text we have today. The experience that Paul is sharing and what he's talking about here is a necessary part of your discipleship walk with Jesus. And yes, God put these verses in the Bible um, for your blessing. He put them in the Bible because they reflect a part of life that all of us experience. But let's be honest, a part of life that we really don't talk very much about on a Sunday morning. So I think what we need to do is go back into text and see what does it really Say, I mean, what do we find when we get to Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25? Well, if I boiled our text down to one word today, the word I would use is the word you see on the screen. Struggle. And if you don't like that word struggle, I'll give you another word. The word would be conflict. And if you want even another word, I'd call it war. So we've got a struggle, we've got a conflict, and we have got a war. That's what Paul says was going on in his life as a Christ follower, and I think we can say that that's what's going on in your life, it's going on in my life too, particularly when you choose to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to have a struggle, you're going to have some conflict, and sometimes living a life as a Christ follower is going to seem like an all-out war. Now Paul tells us that the struggle is not simply sin that's out there in the world it is the problem that we face on the inside the problem is not simply temptation out there but it is all the temptation that lives within us it reminds me of this cartoon you see on the screen maybe some of you remember pogo where the hero of the story says we have met the enemy and he is us Paul's saying we have met the enemy when we confess our sins, even as we did this morning to start our worship service. The enemy is us. The enemy is not someone out there. The enemy is on the inside, which is why when people applaud, let's say, your impressive performance and whatever you do, there's probably another part of you that says, boy, if they really knew what I'm really like, they would not be clapping. They would not be cheering at all. And that's what Paul's talking about today. And I'm going to confess to you that some of you may come up to me after the service today and say, Pastor, that was really a nice sermon. And I'll I'll say thank you. Or I might say, we'll see. We'll see whether you apply it or not. But at the same time, I know that even if you're congratulatory, I know the person I am. And I know what goes on inside this sinful human being. Now, why is it that there's this struggle inside of every believer? Well, the answer is simply two words. It's called indwelling sin, or what we sometimes call original sin. So look at the text. Paul says it here twice in, verse, in chapter verses 17 and 20. He said, it is the sin that is living in me. Now, sin from the time of conception. I mean, the Bible says that we were conceived in sin. We were born in sin. And if you want the big fancy seminary word concupiscence, we just plain simple are sin. Sin takes up permanent residence in us from the time we are conceived. And Paul says that whenever he wants to do good, guess what? Evil is right there with him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will never, ever be completely free from the pull of sin inside you. Even though some of you think so. I remember one of my first shut-in calls way back at Emmanuel Belvedere. And I visited an elderly lady in our congregation well into her 90s. And I asked her how she was doing. And she said, well, Pastor, i got to tell you, being old isn't that bad. I said, really? She says, yeah, because you don't sin anymore. And I said, that's one. And she said, what? I said, it's called pride. She thought somehow she would escape it because she never left the house. In verse 24, that's why Paul, after recognizing he's going to wrestle with sin, actually said, What a wretched man I am. I'm like, what what kind of a person am I? Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but have you ever noticed that what sin does to your body? I mean, that body grows old. I mean, Paul, you're not nearly the young, handsome dude I remember back in Belvedere thirty some years ago. Now, Jennifer, on the other hand, looks great. But we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to struggle with sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, year in and year out. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is ever going to come to a point where they can be able to say, I don't struggle anymore, the war is over. If that's what you're saying, guess what, you're probably in a box and your soul is headed to heaven. If you're a believer, as long as you live, you will struggle with sin. Now, if you study this text, it kind of falls into three parts. Paul shares three confessions of his own that I hope that you can, find, you can see yourself in as well. And, and here's his first confession, the first struggle. The first struggle is to live up to what you know you ought to be. In verses 15 to 17, he says, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Have you ever said that to yourself? I don't understand why I did that. I don't understand. That's an amazing confession. We could have started church this morning. I could have said, we're going to confess our sins. And you all said, we don't understand what we've been doing all week. And I would say, yeah, me too. But God forgives us. We'd have have gone through part of the service pretty quick, wouldn't we? Now, you hear kids say that all the time. See, Paul and Jennifer, I think you got a few grandchildren with you this week. I don't know whether this has ever happened with any of your grandkids. You know, they toss a rock through your window. Uh, they break a plate. They hit their brother or sister. And when you ask them, why did you do that? They go, I don't know. <laughs> now, what Paul's saying is that's true of all of us. I mean, there are times in your life when we do stuff that's... It's just really dumb. It's just really dumb. When somebody asks us why we did it, the only answer we can come up with is, I don't know. I mean, why did you say that? I, I don't know. Uh, why, why did you go to that place? Why did you sign that lease? Why did you make that deal? Why did you break that promise? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. And I, I really don't understand what I was thinking at that time. Well, friends, if that's you at all, you're in good company because that's what Paul says. Paul said, many times I do things and after I've done them, I don't understand why I've done, did them, or why I did them. Now here's his confession. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So Paul is confessing his struggle with sin in his own soul. He's saying that he feels like a split personality. He feels like there's a constant civil war going on in his head. I tried to find this cartoon, but I remember an old cartoon one time. It was Donald Duck. And Donald was told to go to school in the morning, and it showed a kind of a cutaway of his head. And in his head, he had some gears that moved him forward. And there there was a battle inside because there was a little duck angel and a little duck devil. And it was who's going to be in charge of the controls. Do you ever feel sometimes like there are two different people living inside of you? Um, two voices, one calling you this way and one calling you that way. I want to do good, but I don't do it. But the thing I don't want to do, guess what? That's what I find myself doing. Now, somebody once said that the Apostle Paul uh, must have been a golfer. Uh, because a golfer can basically understand this principle. I mean, you line up your putt and it's supposed to break to the right. But when you putt the ball, it goes to the left. That which you want to do doesn't happen. The thing you don't want to do is exactly what happens. So just let me draw a conclusion here. One of them is this, that knowing and doing are two different things. Knowing and doing are two different things. You can know the right thing to do, but you can still do the wrong thing. The obvious point here is this, that knowledge will never save anyone. Even if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not as good as you think you are, and you are worse than you would like to admit. That's the first struggle. Here's the second struggle. The struggle to come to grips with repeated personal failure. I'm going to jump down to where I think it's underlined in the text. The evil I do not want to do. This. I keep on doing. That's a powerful statement. The evil. Now, most of us don't like to consider ourselves evil. We don't really like to. When was the last time you ever called your kids wicked little kids? You know, we, we, we kind of avoid those strong words like evil and wicked and malicious. We just say, oh, isn't he cute? Uh, or as one guy said, uh, it is a, um, it was a temporary injustice. <laughs> yeah. The evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to suggest that you know exactly what these words mean. They make sense. And if these words don't make any sense to you at all, you're not going to like to hear this, but I'm going to suggest to you that you really don't know your relationship with Jesus and the relationship that sin causes to separate you from him. Those who are truly born of God develop in their heart a deep and honest And holy hatred of sin. It's been said that the closer you draw to God, the less you will sin, and yet, the more of a sinner you'll realize yourself to be. Now, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, I've been in ministry for over 50 years. And in that time, a lot of people have come to my office, or they phoned me, or they emailed me, or whatever, to confess some deep personal failures. And sometimes these were new Christians, but more often than not, they were long-time believers. Sometimes they came confessing a first-time sin, but more often it was a sin that they had been struggling with for some time. And you know something, after 30-some years as a pastor, and I say this thoughtfully, it is almost impossible to shock me anymore. Now, why is that? It's because being a Christian does not make you immune to temptation and the pull of sin. I mean, no man ever went broke betting on the total, the reality of the total human depravity. And if you ask, you know, what draws that conclusion? What kind of verses do you really believe in? I'll give you a bunch of them up on the screen. I'm not going to go through them. I, I guess I could preach a sermon on every one of them. This is what I believe. There's no one who does good and sins not. All sin comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. You get what you earn. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's a great passage. If you ever think you're trying to sneak one past God. When I was a teenager, I thought if I'd sin real quick, God wouldn't notice. He still noticed. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Proverbs, he who covers his sin will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. And then we get to some good verses. First John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us of every, every sin. And one of my favorites from 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, all I'm saying you don't have to convince me of this principle of indwelling sin. Not in the lives of believers and certainly not in my life. Is because I've seen too much, I've heard too much, and I've experienced too much in my life. When I stand in front of the mirror, and I thought about it again this morning because I knew what I was going to talk about. When I stood in front of the mirror this morning and shaved part of my face, I saw a man who struggles with sin each and every day. And I'm saying that as a pastor. And I know some people don't like to hear their pastors are sinners. They just assume they just kind of hovered about a foot over the ground and kind of glowed everywhere they went. If you don't believe that I'm a sinner, third row back on the aisle is my wife. She will testify to that fact. And Paul, I see a testifier over in this row, and I see your daughter. Ask sometimes whether people think you're a sinner or not. See, it's hard for us sometimes as believers to come to grips with what Paul is saying here. We we try to come up with some spiritual formulas that get us out of Romans chapter 7. But I don't see anything in the text that helps us get out of it. What I see is being drawn to face the reality of what sin in our lives is all about. And if you don't understand Romans 7, you're never going to fully appreciate Romans chapter 8. See, the first step in healing is just to admit that you're sick. I mean, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only sick people do. See, the people who are made better by the power of God are the people who are not ashamed to admit their weakness and the struggles. And that's the second struggle. Now, here's the third struggle. It's the struggle to admit the true nature of the war that's actually taking place within us. Paul says, I find this law at work when I do good. Evil's right there with me. I mean, the Greek word for right there with me is right there with me. It means it's just like hooked right up to you. It means I'm here, but evil is just like glued to me. Everywhere I go, evil follows. And then he used a military term in these verses. He it said, it's waging war. It's making me a prisoner. And the Greek word for waging war means, you know, sin is lining up troops and marching into battle against you. Uh, Indwelling sin is constantly trying to pull us down, destroy us, discourage us, and make us turn away from God. Evil is not only within us, it's outside of us marching toward us. See, friends, we will struggle with sin as long as we are in this human body. There's no amount of perfect church attendance that's going to change you. Uh, I no longer buy into these three steps to rid your life of sin or seven steps to do this. All I believe in is what the Bible says about sin and the way out. And the reason I do that is because I read Romans 7, and I see one of the most godly men who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, admitting the truth about the struggle within his own soul. I'm telling you, friends, if Paul struggled, you and I will too. You know the real battles are not the ones on the outside. The real battle is the sin on the inside. It's where people don't see it. It's the struggle that goes on in your mind. It's the struggle that goes on in your heart between the pull of the flesh and the pull of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I, I have the privilege of being able to look out at all of you this morning, but behind every smiling face that's out here today is a story. Guess what? Behind every last one of your faces, there's a story. There's a story of some struggle. There's stories of heartache. Maybe stories of despair, defeat, or victory, maybe. Maybe you're experiencing victory in your life right now. Or maybe it's cowardice. Or maybe it's bravery. Or maybe it's fear. Or maybe it's courage. Or maybe it's all of that stuff all kind of mixed together. And though we all clean up pretty good on a Sunday morning... It'd be more appropriate to picture us like a group of soldiers walking out of the jungles of Guadalcanal. See, that's what life is like. Some of you barely made it to church this morning because it's been a really tough week. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and in every way you struggled through these last seven days. But you know something? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to admit a struggle and show up in God's house. It's okay to say to another Christ follower, friend, I'm, you know, when they say, how are you doing? Not just to say, oh, fine. You might shock somebody when you say, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. See, I'm always encouraged when somebody says that to me. I'm struggling because I can take them back to Romans chapter 7. And I said, you're in good company then, buddy. Uh, If you're really struggling, if you feel like there's a war inside of you, you've got a lot in common with one of the greatest Christ followers history has ever known, the Apostle Paul. So what I'm saying is is we're going to win some battles as Christ followers, and we're going to lose some. We're going to get knocked down occasionally, and we're going to get back up again. We're gonna keep on struggling through the help of God. We're gonna, until one day we're actually gonna win that battle, but we're never gonna reach that ultimate victory until we stand face to face with Jesus. But until then, we can walk in significant victory. But there's still gonna be a war. Yes, even the best saints of God are going to struggle. The only way that I know how to explain that is the reality of indwelling sin and the struggle we face all, all along. It'd be a pretty sad sermon if I stopped right there when the reality is sin. So let's get practical. What can we do? What can we do in this struggle against sin? Well, thankfully, Paul suggests three things. Here's step number one. It's called honesty. Honesty. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. And that's a Christ follower speaking. He said, apart from Jesus, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit, what a wretched man I am. Maybe you've heard it before. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. See, the reason that many Christians don't grow is because they hear the truth intellectually, but they won't let it get close enough to their heart to hurt them. We're kind of good at deflecting the truth because the truth hurts. Now, the truth never changes us then because we won't let it get close enough to hurt us. See, honesty is that very first step in admitting your true condition. Now, we all confessed our sins at the beginning of the service today. And nothing against using the same words Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Sunday. But I think all of us could pray a different prayer that would be really, really, really honest if we thought about Who we've offended this last week Or who we've hurt See the second step is humility He says who will rescue me from this body of death And the difference between honesty and humility Is that honesty said I'm a wretched man And humility says I can't save myself As far as I know there are only three things you can do with sin You can deny it And good luck with that You can try to deal with it on your own And good luck with that as well. Or three, you can admit it, and you can turn to Jesus, and you can find forgiveness. Here's step number three. Complete dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's the answer to everything he's just said about his struggle with sin. All of Romans 8, when you get to it this week, you're going to read chapter 6 and chapter 7, and you're going to get to chapter 8. All of chapter 8 is comprehended in that one little sentence. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we're going to discover that even though we are sinful human beings, God, in His great love and mercy for us, provided a way out. We're going to discover that there is a provision for victory There's a provision for walking in the Spirit, and there's a provision to help you win these struggles with sin. But remember, friends, it's not a formula, not three easy ways to conquer your sin. It's a person you're talking about. It's Jesus. It's not something on the outside. It's a moment-by-moment dependence upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior and realizing that his power is enough. You don't have to be defeated even though a few times you're going to feel that way. You don't have to wallow in the muck, even though you might find yourself there at times. Through complete dependence on Jesus, there's a possibility of significant victory in your life. Now, I'm privileged at different times to preach to inmates in prison. You don't know much about Angola, but there's 6,200 men with an average sentence of 88 years. These are men who are murderers. These are habitual criminals. These are people who have been convicted of aggravated sex crimes. But let me tell you something. These are also men who now walk in victory. And why do they walk in victory? Because they admitted their sin. They confessed that sin. They acknowledged that sin lived inside of them. They have made amends as best as they can with the victims of their crime. And they've received a wonderful blessing, the grace, the love, and the forgiveness of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Romans 7 lies along the pathway of that spiritual blessing. It's not the whole story, but this is the place where, where you, you begin your spiritual walk with Jesus. I confess to you, Lord, that I am an evil, wicked, bad, and nasty sinner. And God allows you to go through that because he knows that in that struggle, it will drive you eventually... To the arms of Jesus. Now does this struggle. Does this fact that you struggle make you a failure? failure? No. Does it make you a bad person? No. Does it make you a loser? No. Does it make you a substandard Christian? No. You know what it makes you? It makes you an excellent candidate for the grace of God. So if you are struggling with sin, I'm going to offer two last suggestions. One, turn your life over to Jesus, especially if you've never done it before. Now, I don't want to give anybody cardiac arrest, but I'm not going to greet you at the door today. If some of you want to come down here and pray, and maybe you've never really accepted Jesus for the first time, I'm going to be down. I'm just going to wait. For some of you, that's the first step, to acknowledge you're sinful, but you've never received and experienced the grace of God and forgiveness. The second thing is, if you are a believer, hang on to Jesus. Hang on to him. Run to the cross, because when you get to the cross, that's where you're going to find forgiveness and strength and healing. Your struggles are all part of God's plan to make you holy. Your struggles are his strategy to make you more like his son, Jesus. And just remember, when you fail, now not if you fail, but when you fail, and when you struggle, and when you fall, remember you've got good company. His name was St. Paul. And I don't think he turned out so bad. So friends, look up. Look up to the cross. And when you feel bogged down in the mire of sin, just run to Jesus and hang on to that cross. Turn to him with your whole heart, and you'll discover that you can become more than a conqueror through him who loves you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time our worship continues as we gather together our tithes and our offerings.